I invite you to remain standing as we read today from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning with verse 9, these holy words for each one of us. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Please be seated. We say a word of greeting again to all of you today, those watching online, <clears throat> on television, as well, of course, as those of you here in the sanctuary. We are grateful for you. I just want to say again a word of appreciation to mothers and to mother figures. For those of us who have lost our mothers, I would give any opportunity in the world to be able to stand before my mother and tell her that I love her and appreciate her. So if your mother is still with you, I hope you will go out of your way today, or if it is a mother figure, to be sure and say how much you appreciate all that they have done for you. Loving mothers are indeed an extraordinary gift from God. <clears throat> Excuse me, let me also say this. Over my years, I have had husbands who have a wife and children. Husbands have said, I don't need to do anything for my wife on Mother's Day. She's not my mother. Now, that is one of the dumbest statements you can ever say. Let me just tell you. She is the mother of your children, or the stepmother of your children, or the mother figure of your children. You owe her today. You owe her a chance to enjoy the day. She is to be the center of attention. She is to be the focus. She is to be the one who enjoys the gift of Mother's Day that you present to her every way you can today. So husbands, never say that again. It makes you look foolish if you ever say that. We are grateful for mothers. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. In 1994, Kevin Carter won the Pulitzer Prize for feature photography. He was already famous in his native South Africa. He was one who traveled the world and took very poignant pictures of different things that were taking place, different events, across the world. On one occasion, he was in Sudan in 1994, when there was a terrible famine taking place, people starving and dying every day. 
While he was there, he took a picture, an award-winning picture, the Pulitzer Prize-winning picture of a small, starving child crawling to a feeding center under the very nearby glaring eye of a vulture. The vulture ready to pounce on this small, helpless child. A horrifying picture that described in great detail the suffering that was pl taking place in Sudan. He won the Pulitzer Prize. He was asked soon afterwards by many different people, Mr. Carter, whatever happened to that child? What did you do to help that poor child as a vulture stood closely by? He ashamedly admitted that he had spent 20 minutes lining up the perfect shot, and after the pictures were taken, he simply walked away. He dealt with the indifference of suffering, little regard for the pain that was around him, more concerned about getting just the right shot than anything else. And two months later, after receiving the Pulitzer Prize, Kevin Carter took his own life. Indifference caused him to commit suicide, the indifference to suffering. Indifference is awful because it means there's no emotion, there's no attachment, there's no desire to respond, no empathy, no sympathy, no compassion. Just a total lack of regard. Indifference has no regard for the plight of the neighbor. They just don't care. For Jesus, indifference was intolerable. For Jesus, an understanding of our love for God and love for neighbor was paramount. Above all else, the two most important commands that we could ever follow, love God and love neighbor. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in me. I just read that a moment ago. Abide in me means to be present in me, to be alive in me. What Jesus means by that is that if I'm alive in you, you are alive in me. We are in a mutual relationship of love, one with the other. And if we are in love with Jesus Christ, and he is indeed an indwelling presence in our life, then it is impossible to be indifferent to have no regard for the concerns of others. On the contrary, we become sensitive, we become focused, and we become intentional about being who it is God would have us to be, which means God and neighbor take precedent in our lives. Jesus said, I leave you with this command. He is soon to depart from those whom he loves so much. 
he says to them, love one another as I have loved you. It is a command. It is a mandate from Jesus that we love each other the same way he loves us. So how does he love us? He loves us sacrificially. He loves us unconditionally, which means we are to do the same each for the other. And Jesus says there is no greater love than that than to lay down one's life for, for one's friends, and I call you friends. Jesus said, you're no longer a servant, you're a friend. That establishes a totally different kind of relationship with our Lord. And if indeed he abides in us, and it is our responsibility to live as he lived and to relate as he related, then we recognize that we are to be sacrificial, and there is no greater love than that. We are to be unconditional with our love, and there is no greater love than that. We are not to compartmentalize or categorize or label or stereotype. We are to love in the same way Jesus loved us, always and forever. As John writes what we know to be the Gospel of John, he writes it to the early church in the latter part of the first century. The church has been established, but the church is being persecuted. There is a tremendous amount of suffering that has taken place for those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. In the early days of the church, the church was a threat to the Roman government. <clears throat> the church was a threat to the Jewish people. The church was a threat to pagans. In a variety of ways, the church was a threatening institution to lots of people. And so when something threatens us, the ideal situation is to eliminate that which threatens us. And so many early Christians suffered greatly for the faith. And as John writes what we know to be the Gospel of John, he writes it particularly to those who are suffering, saying to them, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and Jesus Christ calls us friends. He is saying to the early church, there is no greater gift you can give than to give your life for the sake of Jesus Christ. We all know that that is the ultimate gift. There is nothing greater I can give you, and there is nothing greater you can give me than one's life. Brennan Manning died a number of years ago, but Brennan Manning was a famous Roman Catholic priest, speaker, and author. He was not born with the name Brennan. He was born with the name Richard. He took on the name Brennan when he was ordained as a Roman Catholic priest, the name of a saint. He told the story of how he came to have the name Brennan. As he was growing up, his best friend was named Ray. They played together, they went to school together, they double dated together. They went to college together. They enlisted in the army together, they went to boot camp together, and they ended up on the front lines in the Korean War together. Brennan and Ray were inseparable, the best of friends. And one day, while they were in a foxhole, eating a chocolate bar, 
reminiscing about the good old days back at home. A hand grenade landed in the foxhole. Brennan Manning describes what happened next. Ray dropped his chocolate bar, smiled at Brennan, and jumped on top of the grenade, killing himself, but sparing Brennan and many others in the process. Brennan, who was still known as Richard at the time, returned home. He would be ordained and told he was to take on the name of a saint. He could think of no one better than his buddy Ray Brennan. So he became known as Brennan Manning. But the story does not end there. Brennan Manning said a number of years later, he went to see Ray's mother in her home, still after all those years grieving the loss of her son. He describes how they had a wonderful meal together, terrific conversation about all the memories that they shared of Ray. And then shortly before Brennan was to leave, he turned to Ray's mother, who was sitting on a couch, and he asked her, do you think Ray really loved me? She leapt up off of the couch, put her finger in his face, and screamed at him. What more could he have done for you? He died for you. What more could he have done? Brendan Manning said from then on, in his own mind, he imagined a conversation with the Virgin Mary at the foot of the cross. Looking at Mary, he would ask, do you think God really loves me? Only to have Mary shake her hand in his face, point at him and say, look at him on the cross. Is there anything else he could have possibly done for you? I think the truth is true for all of us as well. At one time or another in life, I would imagine all of us, if we are honest, have wondered whether or not God could really love us, particularly in those moments we don't, when we don't really love ourselves. And I think it's important for us to look at the cross and to remind ourselves that God says to all of us, what more could I have possibly done for you? Jesus put it this way, there is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. It is the ultimate sacrifice. It is the greatest expression of love we could give. It has no room for indifference because it is all about someone else, a profound love. Remember what Jesus said, greater love has no one than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and I call you friends. The kind of friendship Jesus is talking about has a profound level of intimacy to it. It means that we become one not only with Jesus Christ, but because we all love Jesus Christ, we become one with each other. Now, we use the term friends in a rather flippant way in the culture in which we live today. I know, for example, I have friends who have friends 
by the thousands on Facebook. A high percentage of those friends they have never met. And there's certainly nothing wrong with having friends on Facebook. But it is superficial at best to a large degree with the majority of those friends for the majority of us, many of whom we will never meet, but for whatever reason, there is that connection. But we're talking about a total, totally different kind of friendship, one that is sacrificial, one that has unconditional love attached to it. When I was serving another church a number of years ago, <clears throat> on my very last Sunday at the church, the congregation had a very nice reception for Susan and me. It was well attended. Everybody was in a good mood. I was excited to have an opportunity to say goodbye to everyone. And a friend of mine came up to me and said, John, let's just go ahead and be honest with each other. I know all these people are talking here about staying in touch with you and keeping up with you, etc. Let's just be honest. We have had a friendship while you were here. But we're not going to be friends anymore. We're not going to be in touch with each other. We know that. Let's just be honest with each other and wish one another the very best. And I said, you know, I really do appreciate that. The likelihood of us ever connecting again is probably pretty slim. He said, you know, we just need to be honest. That's been 15 years ago. I've never heard a word from him. He's never heard a word from me. I appreciate the honesty. The kind of friendship Jesus is talking about would never involve the conversation of, look, let's just recognize we're not going to be friends anymore. Because the kind of friendship Jesus is talking about is never-ending. It is a friendship that lasts forever. Greater love has no one than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus said, I call you friend. You're one with me. I abide in you and you abide in me. It means that we are connected to each other. We don't let the petty things stand in the way. So many friendships end, if you will, because of something petty, something that in the big picture is actually pretty inconsequential. Relationships break up all the time because of that. The kind of friendship Jesus talks about, the kind of love that he describes, has no room for that. It is all about being sacrificial, which means sometimes in those kinds of relationships, we relinquish power, we become vulnerable, we allow ourselves to be freely who we really are with the hope that the person we are friends with will be the same with us. Greater love has no one than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus said, I call you friends. And he did, of course, lay down his life for us. I think a lot about friendship, particularly this past week as I was working on this sermon. And I started to look up some statistics. Men have a real hard time, by the way, with friendships, generally speaking. Very few men, percentage-wise, have very few close friends. Women do it better than men. But one of the things that Jesus demands from us is that all of us recognize whether we even know who someone is or not. If we follow Jesus Christ, 
She or he is a friend of ours because we are bonded, connected by that relationship with the one who laid down his life for us and expects us to do the same in relationship with him and with each other. The early church survived all of that persecution because there were enough people who took very seriously the command from Jesus that we are to lay down our lives for each other, for the greater good, for the bigger cause. I think one of my great frustrations right now about being a United Methodist pastor is that we as a denomination will soon split. It's going to happen. We are going to be two denominations when we have been for generations one. And what we are arguing about in the big picture has very little to do with the kingdom of God. We are arguing about cultural issues and political issues. We don't seem to dialogue about why it is the United Methodist Church is in such rapid decline and has been for decades. Why aren't we worked up over that? Why aren't we trying to do something about that? We don't have conversation about how can we turn this around and bring people to Jesus Christ as a denomination. We don't spend any time talking about that, but we talk about our differences regarding cultural and political issues all the time to our detriment as a denomination. And sometimes, quite frankly, I get so frustrated with my fellow sisters and brothers in the ordained ministry because we're not in agreement. But we shouldn't have to be in agreement because the kind of love we are supposed to share with each other says you don't have to agree with everybody. You don't have to be just alike. You don't have to look just alike, think just alike. You can be who you are and still love each other because we are friends connected in relationship with Jesus Christ. And the ones that I squabble with are the ones that Jesus calls friends, and he calls me friend too. Why isn't that enough for us to stay together as a denomination? Why can't what you should unite us, the love for the same Jesus Christ, keep us as one, but it won't? And that is a pity. It is shameful, but it is a reality. So I have prayed all week long that in some way I can look at those who differ from me for whatever reason and remind myself that they too are the ones for whom I am to stand up and declare to be my friends. Because the same Jesus Christ they love is the same Jesus Christ that I love. And that should be enough to keep us together. Jesus said, I give you this command that you love one another. Period. Not you love those who look just like you or think just like you or vote just like you. But you should love one another. And that should be enough. So on this Mother's Day, when we celebrate moms and mother figures and those women in our life who have meant so much to us and shaped us into who we are in some profound way, we ought to remember that they are not in our lives by accident. God brought them to us. They are our friends by biblical definition, 
which means we are one with them, and they are one with us because we are all one with Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said, greater love has no one than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he said, I call you friends. So today as you leave, I hope you will say to everyone around you, what a great joy it was to worship with you because you are my friend. Hallelujah. Amen.